You are so, so great. And, and we proclaim it now, and we know one day we're going to proclaim it when we're fully in your presence. And that it'll be the easiest thing for us to say. And, and we will be overwhelmed. And we look forward to that day. Father, we uh, want to be faithful. We want to persevere until that day. So would you help us and would you use the word of God this morning again to uh, stir within us that, that hope that we need to have, that, that real hope and that joy and that desire to, to run the race as best as we can. Father, um, a couple others that I uh, forgot to mention earlier that we just want to lift up to you uh, this morning. Uh, one, Ashlyn Glenn having the stomach flu, that you would just get her over that quickly. And also for Lyle uh, Patricus, and uh, just that you'd bring health and healing to him, and uh, that he might also know how good and great you are. So Father, for our time now, would you meet with us? Would you show us wonderful truths in your word? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are at the end of Revelation. If you're visiting this week, you missed it. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, just, it's over now. It's done. Uh, sermon archives, right? You can listen to it online. Uh, <clears throat> I'm one of those guys that uh, when I watch a movie... The ending of a movie can color like the whole experience for me. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like you're you're kind of watching a good movie and then you get to the end and you're like, that's how they chose to end it, really? Like they thought that was a good idea. Like it was all good until the end. And then and then likewise, when you have a good movie but it really sticks the landing, you know, when it really ends well or it leaves you with that emotional wallop, you know, th- that's a good day. That's kind of like, man, I, that was a good movie. I really enjoyed that. I mean, think about some of the amazing endings in cinema history. You know, you think about like, right, Wizard of Oz. Did you see, you watched that growing up, right? You get to the end and it's all a dream. It's a dream. Sorry I spoiled it for you, you know, but it, it's, you know, and, and, and Annie M, there's no place like home. And, and there's your final line. I mean, that is a memorable movie ending, right? Or, or, you know, you take the ending of like a movie like Rocky, you know, the greatest sports movie ever, right? You agree with me, hopefully. Um, you get to the end, it doesn't matter whether he's won or whether he's lost. I won't spoil it for you, but it doesn't even matter. All that matters is he's got Adrian, right? And she's looking for him, and he's calling for her. It's all that matters. Who cares if you won or lost? You went the distance with the champion, and now you've got her. You know. So it's like you have these kind of movies that are just excellent, excellent endings. And I grew up with these, just like, oh, they're, they're, they're so great. I can, I can mention a whole lot more. I mean, we could talk. We could talk for a while. Remember the ending to Inception? Did you see that movie, you know, the top that's spinning and you're waiting for it either to fall over or not, and, and, and you're just like, oh, they leave you on a cliffhanger. How can you do that, you know? Um, so I think I've mentioned this before, but I was watching that movie in the theater, and I was in Stevens Point, and there was like a row of Stevens Point, UW-Stevens Point students behind me, and, and the final scene in that movie, and the top is spinning, you know, and you're kind of waiting to see what happens. And then the screen goes black, and the girl behind me says, "Wait, what just happened?" <laughs> you know, like she thought maybe she blinked and missed it. You know, and, and 
It's just like, oh, there, there's some good stuff out there. I could go on and on. You know, there's, there's a lot of great movies that really stick the landing um, at the end, but we'll stop there. Here we are at the end of the book. And the funny thing is, as I look at it this week, I mean, I've read Revelation a number of times. I've read the ending. I kind of know what happens at, at chapter 22. But I was kind of nervous, like, am I going to stick the landing? You know, am I going to pre... I mean, there's some amazing stuff in Revelation, as, as you well know. There's some amazing things. Then you get to the end, and it's like, hopefully the ending is as amazing as everything else in the book. And it is. And hopefully I can reflect that this morning, because it is an amazing ending. And if my words fall short, hopefully you see it on the page and you realize what's going on here at the end of the book. The end of the book, in some ways, mirrors the beginning of the book. I think it gives us a sense of, here's what Revelation is about. About Here's, here's the final final word. Let's take a look at it together. As we read this, I I, I really want us to get a sense of uh, that as John writes, one of the things that I noticed this week that really jumped out was I see the Trinity involved in this last chapter. I see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit involved in this last chapter in a pretty cool kind of way. And uh, I just want to I want to bring that out this morning. I want us to see that and and what they're doing. We worship one God. He exists in three persons. That's a mystery, it's a paradox, it's true. It's it's the best we can do to to accurately reflect what we see in the scriptures. We see a father, we see a son, and we see a spirit, and yet there is only one God. So here we are in Revelation chapter 22. Let's start in verse 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Let's pause there for a moment. We start with a message, uh, a purpose from God the Father. You see it in verse 6. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. What we see at the beginning here uh, of the end, the beginning of the end of Revelation is that God the Father is inspiring John to write and he sends his angel to reveal the message. And so the Father is the one who reveals his plans. That's what we see here. Revelation is about God saying, I want my people to know my plans for human history. I have purposes and I want them to see what they are. God is doing this frequently 
throughout Scripture. I, I've, given you, I've given you a couple passages to consider about how, the, how God is the one who reveals. Matthew 11, can we pull that up? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. He's like, you didn't go after the smart people. You went after the, 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 these kids, these people that don't know a lot. You revealed yourself to them. Meaning, it's God who reveals. Uh, the next one in Matthew. Remember when uh, Peter says, you are the Christ? He, he, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. He is who he says he is. And Jesus says this, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. It's not that someone came up to Peter and said, that guy you're traveling with, that's Jesus. I mean, that's a Christ. That's who that is. No, Jesus is like, no, God the Father. And that's kind of amazing because you think Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples. He's doing miracles. So doesn't Jesus' actions speak for themselves? But Jesus says there's a deeper reality here beyond you seeing miracles, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, uh, uh, casting out demons. There's something deeper going on here than just seeing my amazing actions. It's the Father revealing it to you. God is a God who has plans for history, for eternity. And what he loves to do is reveal them to us. And that's why you have a verse like uh, verse 10. Don't seal up the words of the prophecy. Because the time is near. God knows that we need the book of Revelation. The church needs these words. They give us life and they give us hope. They show us who wins. When life gets hard, they, they, they give us what we need to get through. Which is a shame that some people seal it up because they're scared of it. They don't want to open that book. But God says, I want this thing open for everybody. By the way, in some, some of Daniel, there's some, some talk about keeping things sealed. But here it's all unsealed. Let the people know what's going to happen. And then you have this interesting verse in verse 11. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. And we're kind of like, what is that? I mean, I kind of get the last part of the verse. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And there's a few different suggestions for how we can understand this because we know God's heart is that none should perish. So why does he say, why does the angel speak for God and say, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong? And I think, I think the best way to understand this is uh, uh, kind of a language of exaggeration and in the sense it's kind of a dare, it's kind of a challenge. You don't believe in Christ? You're living for yourself? You're living a sinful life against God's commands? I dare you to keep it up. Keep going. See what happens. I, I think there's a challenge there for people. Really? The time is close. Whether in your own death or whether in Jesus coming back, the time is near. So keep going. See what happens. I think that's the, the force of that statement because we know, we know God's heart is, His heart is that none should perish. And yet we have this word of challenge to people. By the way, if you read Old Testament prophets, Old Testament prophets speaking to people for God, sometimes they talked like this. There was almost this dare and this challenge. Go for it. Keep going. See what happens. God is the God who reveals his plans. You know, um, when I was a youth pastor, I would take kids on missions trips with different youth organizations. And 
I, often I would sign us up to go with, uh, you know, the FCA had one called Bump. YouthWorks has a pretty good organization going where they, where they send you on trips. And one of the things that was always kind of exciting to do was to sit down with students and take them through the week. You know, show them the agenda for their entire week and say, you're going to be living according to this agenda. Yeah, you're going to wake up at 6.30 in the morning and help make breakfast. It's coming, you know. And you're kind of getting them, getting them ready for it. And then you're like, look, bedtime, look at this. Bedtime is at, is at 10.30 or 11 o'clock. And they're all like, oh, no, we don't go to bed then, you know. And they're giving you a hard time. And you get to say, look, this is the strict, this is on the agenda. It's on the agenda because tomorrow morning you've got to wake up nice and early and start working. This is a service trip. This is a missions trip. You're going to need your sleep for this. And so you're kind, of, you're kind of taking them through the schedule and showing them what's expected of them. And isn't that part of the purpose why we have revelation? That God is saying, tribulation's coming, if not here already. Are you going to persevere? Are you going to be like the ones who don't take the mark of the beast? Do you identify with them? Or are you ones that say, culture's pushing and I'm going to give in? I'm giving in. God has given us this for a reason. And we are thankful for that. Uh, all right. Number two. Let's keep reading. Uh, then, you've got Jesus speaking here in verse 12. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life, the Garden of Eden there, and may go through the gates uh, into the city, the 12 gates of pearl that we talked about last week. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel, and this is pretty cool, you know, just, just stop right here, you know, I, Jesus, sent my angel. You're like, wait, wait, wait. Earlier it said, God sent the angel. The Lord God sent the angel. That's verse 6. And Jesus says, well, I sent him too. Jesus is God. This is Trinity. So to say that the Father sent the angel means that the Son sent the angel. It, it, it's one. They're one. Kind of cool. Verse 16. I, Jesus, sent my angel to give to you this testimony for the churches. I am the root. That means I produced. And I am the offspring of David. So, so Jesus both started the whole Davidic kingship. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament and David, he started that whole thing and he actually was born of it. You know, he's the offspring of David, born as we celebrate at Christmas time. And the bright morning star. He is the bright morning star. We'll talk about that in just a second. Okay. Now, the sun is the one who is coming soon. The Father reveals the plans, and he acts as a plan for when Jesus is going to return at a day and an hour known to the Father. And Jesus is the one who fulfills that plan. He's the one that comes and reveals himself to us. Can we show you a couple things there? Would you go to Matthew 24? A couple things about Jesus coming. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but maybe there's a couple things I didn't say. Keep your finger in Revelation, by the way. We'll be back there in just a second. Matthew 24, uh, verse 26. Matthew 24, 26. Jesus says, So, if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out. 
If they say, here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes back, it's not going to be like, like he did on earth where he was traveling around, gathering disciples, preaching the good news of the kingdom. No, he's coming on the clouds. We've sang that today. He's coming on the clouds. So if someone on earth claims to be Jesus, and there are people claiming that even today, and there's people being duped by that, if someone claims to be a Messiah and they're on earth right now, you don't believe them. Because Jesus says, I'm not coming that way. I'm not starting this on earth movement again. I'm not, I did that once. Came in on the donkey, humility and everything else. This time I'm coming on the clouds in glory and power. And everyone's going to see me and that's the way I'm coming. Interesting that Jesus predicted his imposters that would take place on earth. And then uh, he says in verse 30, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, Then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect, that would be Christians, from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And then there's verse 36, another um, one of those passages that I think we all say, well, no kidding, we know this, but it's good to see it again. But about the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Who knows when Jesus is returning? The Father knows. It's His plan. We just talked about that. He's got the plan. And when He's ready, Jesus will come back. And so it does no good for us to be talking about, well, we think it'll be this time or think it'll be that time. Let's just not go there since we're told we don't know. I had someone come in once when I was a youth pastor. I was the only pastor in the office on this day. And, and uh, this guy came in and he had this thick packet of material and he had predicted the day of Jesus' return. And it was in December or something. And uh, he, he went over it for about an hour and you know we talked about this and I said, well, Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. You know, No man knows. And uh, he said, well, I am not a man. And I said, I'm very confused. You're not a man. He says, well, no, man means... Uh, in the flesh, and I'm in the Spirit, and, and I have the Spirit of God living in me, and He should reveal this to me, and I can show you these different passages, and, you know, I'm like, ugh, you know. Uh, and, and I got a little snarky, you know, it's hard not to. It's hard to kind of pull all that down, you know, when you're like, I'm just... So I said, should I confess this? I don't know if I should confess this. I, 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 I said, I said, December whatever... Can I call you that day? Can we like talk that day that is predicted? And he says, I won't be here that day. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I know you're not going to be here, right? Can I? Anyway, okay. So, I, by the way, I didn't call him. My snarkiness had left and uh, was pl- replaced with humility over the things that I don't know. And uh, yeah, okay, I got over that. So, nobody knows. Be patient with those who think they do, but point them to the Scripture. Okay? Um, okay, back to Revelation. Um, yes, 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 yes. Let's talk about rewards a couple minutes. Because when Jesus says in verse 12, I'm coming soon, my reward is with me, I will give to each person according to what they have done. There's a passage in Corinthians that also talks about this. Can we get that up on the screen? For we, meaning the church, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Good or bad. So, you and I, we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to be talking about the things that we've done while we're in this body. And we've done some good things, we've done some bad things. And, and, and the bad doesn't mean like, well, things that were kind of a little selfish, you know. No, they're bad. The stuff you shouldn't have done. If you, if you look at that word and look at other places in Scripture, it's like evil, bad stuff. Don't do it. Sin, it's bad. And I know... Christ has died for my sins, so there'll be no condemnation that day. There'll be no judgment on that day. There'll be nothing like that. But there will be the sense of, I did that instead of doing this. And I should have been doing these good things and I didn't. But the judgment seat of Christ will go well for you. I mean, just just so you know that. But on that day... I think we're going to have a real emotional reaction to the bad. I think so. Because we know we're not going to go to hell, so there's still joy there and there's still peace there. But there's going to be a sense of, why did I waste my time on that? Why did I break God's heart with that? Why? You know, some have speculated maybe there is a sense of heavenly regret over the opportunities missed even though I'm not going to pay for them in judgment. We'll receive what's done in the body. Let me take a couple minutes and talk about some of the rewards that are at least mentioned in the New Testament. I think there's probably more than these five rewards, but these are some crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. Can we get the first crown up there? So we're going to stand before Jesus and... Maybe this is a metaphorical crown, but maybe it's a literal crown. Remember the elders in heaven throwing their crowns down by, 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 the, by the throne of God? You know, maybe this is a literal crown. But there's at least five of them mentioned in the New Testament. Let's take a look real quick. Crown of righteousness. You get a crown of righteousness for those who eagerly await Jesus' return. So and let, me, let me say this before we say anything else about the crowns. I think we're going to get rewards for lots of things. Lots of things. But there's at least five things that, that are kind of like, when you go above and beyond, there, there's at least these five things that God's going to reward you for in a, in a very spectacular fashion. Crown of righteousness. For those that are eagerly awaiting Jesus' return. And I imagine it's called the crown of righteousness because people that are like anticipating Jesus' return, people like my grandma that would drive me crazy, you know, you don't need to get married. Jesus is coming back, you know. You don't need to go to college. Yes, Grandma, I do. Jesus is coming back, you know. Okay, Grandma, I got it. He's coming. He's coming, you know. Um, when you're like that, God loves that. And one of the reasons he loves that is because you believe the truth. But secondly, people that believe Jesus is coming soon tend to live righteous lives because they're getting themselves ready, okay. I think that's probably why it's called the crown of righteousness, Next crown. There's the incorruptible crown. Now, Paul talks about this. He talks about running the race. He talks about the sacrifice it takes, the training it takes, beating your body and making it your slave. So I kind of read this and go, these are for the Christians that uh, they understand what their calling is. Here's what God's put me here for. I'm living my life for God. I, I know how he's gifted me. I'm using my gifts and it's taken some sacrifice on my part. It's taken some training. 
It hasn't been easy all the time. And you will receive an incorruptible, a crown that won't perish. I think the idea is you could use your gifts and abilities in many ways that benefit you. You know, that bring glory to you. But you're using your gifts and abilities for the kingdom of God. And that stuff that you earn for yourself, one day those things will pass away. Right? Treasures on earth will be destroyed. Treasures in heaven are incorruptible. I think that's kind of the idea here. Uh, Next crown. There's a crown of life for loving God while suffering persecution. This is mentioned in two different places. And interestingly enough, both of those places, Revelation and James, both talk about intense persecution and remaining faithful. Because if you continue to love God while you're being persecuted, it says you will receive this crown of life. Some people call this the martyr's crown. Okay, Crown of life. Next crown. There's the crown of rejoicing for winning people to Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, What is going to be my crown if not you? He's talking about the Thessalonian church. He's like, you're my people. I shared Christ with you and and I'm rejoicing with you because you believe. You ever had the thrill of praying with someone and leading them to the Lord? Of actually sharing Jesus with them and them saying, I believe this, I get this, I'm in then you see him baptized later, and you're just like, oh, I'm humbled that God let me be a part of that. And, and that feeling you get of joy from sharing with them and seeing them receive it, that's the crown of rejoicing. And you experience some of that here on earth, because it's pretty exciting to see someone come to Christ. But you experience it in a huge way in heaven when you see them there. And like, the reason you're here is because God used this Humble servant, you know, like, what am I? But God used me to share with you, and, and you're going to rejoice. Crown of rejoicing. And the last crown, I think we're at number five now. The crown of glory for shepherding God's people. Uh, Peter's talking to elders and overseers in the church, shepherds in the church, and he says there's a crown of glory for shepherding God's people. I kind of wonder if also those that teach in the church those that care for people in the church, the, those that have that, that mercy gift, I want to take care of you, I want to shepherd you. But, but clearly, um, one of the things Peter says is those that oversee the church, crown of glory for shepherding God's people. Am I at five there, Jim? Is that five crowns? Thank you. Um, now, when I, was, when I was in eighth grade, I went to a Baptist school, and I was graduating, promoted, whatever you want to call it, now, I was in a ceremony, and they were handing out awards. And every year, the school would pick a student to receive the principal's award. They kind of exemplified the school's values and living for Christ. And, and so I'm kind of sitting there going, man, I really hope I get that, you know, because that's like a good award. That's a principal's award. And uh, that night, I received that award. They also had an academic award, those that had, like, top grades, right? And a friend of mine received that award. I had seen his report card. Mine was better. Um, in my opinion, I should have received the principal's award, and I should have received the academic award. But this guy got it. What jealousy 
how jealousy easily wells up in the heart, right? Envy, coveting, it's just, it's just there. You get something I don't have, what's up with that? By the way, uh, someone asked me to preach on jealousy uh, a few months back, and I'm preaching on that next Sunday, asking you shall receive, okay? Uh, jealousy is next Sunday. Just a one-shot on that. Uh, I was reading Jonathan Edwards last week, a sermon that he had given. You can't find it on a, on a, on a um, you can't listen to it online because he's dead, you know, and he was, you know, hundreds of years, a couple hundred years ago. Is that right? A couple hundred, 150? Um, he talked about heaven, and he was preaching out of 1 Corinthians 13. How do you preach heaven out of 1 Corinthians 13, love chapter? You know, he talked about this. He talked about when we get to heaven, you're going to see people with all of these rewards, and you're going to receive some rewards too. But, but there's some people that are going to get better rewards than you. Okay? If Jesus is actually going to give rewards based on what you've done, some people are going to have more than you. And what are you going to do on that day? And Edwards is amazing because he's just like, well, it's simple. Love doesn't envy, according to 1 Corinthians 13. And there'll be perfect love in heaven. You'll be so thrilled for that person that got more rewards than you. You'll be happy for them. You will love them for it, and you will love the Father that gave it to them. You'll love them for what they did on earth. It will be perfect, and they will love you for the rewards you got. It will be fine. It's perfect love. Love doesn't envy. And I thought, that, that's a beautiful image that I wish I had more of in my own life. Because how easy it is to compare. We'll talk about that more next week. Okay, uh, finally, on, on, on the Jesus and rewards thing, let's not forget this. Uh, what does Jesus call himself here? He calls himself uh, the root and offspring of David. He calls himself in verse 16 the bright morning star. What is the bright morning star? I think it's the sun rising in the morning, bringing light. And Jesus says, that is me. I am the bright morning star. And church, you may be living in a period of darkness right now, but the morning is coming. The day that you're with your Savior is coming soon, and it will be here. Just like the sun rises, that's the sureness we have. Jesus is coming back. The light of the world is returning and bringing His glory. And, and then I think of Revelation. I don't think I put this on the, on the slides. I'll give you the reference, though. Uh, Revelation, uh, where is it? I didn't write it down. Nuts. Revelation 2 or 3, though. And, and, and Jesus uh, promises the church, I'm going to give you the morning star. That's what He says. I'm going to give you the morning star. We talked about it last week, and I said, remember I said last week, I don't see the morning star in heaven? Well, duh, I didn't study it well enough. Uh, The morning star is Jesus. So your ultimate reward in heaven, better than any crown you're going to get, is Jesus. So again, it makes you kind of step back and say, am I living for, am I looking more forward to treasure in heaven or the ultimate treasure in heaven, which is Jesus? Am I looking forward to walking streets of gold and seeing people that I know or the ultimate treasure being with Jesus? It's like he's saying, I'm giving you myself, and there's nothing better than that. I'm giving you the morning star. Okay. There. 
Um, number three, number three. The Spirit. Let's talk about the Spirit. Here we go. Verse 17. Uh, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which is described in the scroll. He who testifies of these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen, or so be it. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. So be it. Amen. Who says come in verse 17? The Spirit and the Bride. The Spirit and the Bride. So, it's the Spirit who's creating in us expectancy. He's he's creating us this desire to see Jesus come back. Like my grandma, as much as she wanted Jesus to return in her lifetime, uh, that was the Spirit doing that in her. The Spirit is the one who does this in us. Uh, A couple of verses on that. The first verse, if we can get that up there. Uh, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory. So we're talking about the future. He's going to tell you what's going to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. The, The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. And what better way than creating in us this desire for Jesus to come back? Uh, Next verse. Galatians 5.5 By faith we eagerly await through the spirit of righteousness for which we hope. We're waiting by faith through the spirit. The spirit is helping us wait for Jesus. He's helping us get through this life to be victorious in Christ, to be overcomers. He's doing this in us. So again, I'll ask you the question I asked you a few weeks ago. Do you greatly desire Jesus' return? Do you desire that? Do you want that? Are you too busy for that? You got too much going on? Too many plans that the Father's plans you hope kind of delay a little bit? That's not biblical. It's not what God has called us to. He's called us to have this great urgency and desire because that urgency and desire honors the fact Jesus is coming back, but it also kind of creates in us this, I got stuff to do. The time is short. I got to live like it. I got to be like it. I got to tell people the time is short. We don't know the hour, but we know we're getting a day closer to it. By faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit. So the Spirit's producing in us this, this desire, this longing for Jesus' coming. Can you say with John, Come, Lord Jesus, and mean it. That's the question. Would you be disappointed if Jesus came back tonight because you have too much going on tomorrow or next week? As a kid, it's easy to say, yeah, I had a lot of stuff going, you know. A lot of stuff I want to accomplish. Um, Okay. Finally, let's say this. I told you I'd come back to it. Uh, In verse, where is it? Verse 8. John, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. John, you're an amazing guy to hear all this. You're an apostle, dude. I mean, you are, you are incredible. But when I heard, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Whoops. He said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, 
Like, I, he's like, I'm just kind of like you. I'm a servant. I'm, I'm doing God's work. You can't worship me no matter what I look like. Yeah, I've been hanging out in the presence of God, but the brightness belongs to God. Don't, don't worship me. And I read this and go, is this kind of John's way of admitting his failures and saying, it's so easy to worship something else. It's so easy to commit idolatry, right? It's just so easy to stand in awe of people, of things, of stuff, instead of God. Like we read Revelation, and I think what it does to our souls is it kind of like, it, it ought to help us stand in awe of God, who is coming back one day to rule. It ought to help us stand back in awe. It ought to help us. And you think, John, you saw the angel? You saw the vision of heaven and, and the worship of the one seated on the throne? You saw that? And you still fell down? Yeah. Because we have this, this weakness in us to want to worship, honor, exalt things that are greater than us. And the angel says, no, I'm just a servant. I'm not really that great. Don't do that. Worship God. And so in the church, we have our own religious idolatry, I think. Um, take your jacket off. It's going to get hot real quick here, okay? Um, I think we have religious idolatry. We have famous Christian celebrities, and we trust every word they preach and say instead of checking it out for ourselves. We have that. If You may be one of those people that you got your study Bible and you're in your Bible study and you say, well, my notes say this. And it's like those notes are written by a human being. The words above it were by God. So just be careful. I, I love study Bibles, by the way. I have two or three of them. Just, just be careful. Be careful not to elevate it too high. Um, what else do we have? We have the comfort of the American church, which might be passing away soon. We'll see what happens. Some of you have heard some of the stuff going on in Houston and trying to subpoena pastors' sermons, you know, because they're on uh, same-sex marriage. I think they're taking that back now. But, you know, some of us worship at the altar of our own comfort, and so we don't value risk the way we should. Risk for the kingdom. Are our kids growing up with an urgency maybe to do missions work with the risk that that involves? You know, or have we celebrated comfort to the extent that we've idolized it? I love our freedom in this country, by the way. I've talked about that before. I think in 1 Timothy it says freedom is sometimes great for getting the gospel out because you can proclaim it freely. There's a passage in 1 Timothy 2, I think, that says that. But have we idolized it? Our own comfort. Have we idolized numbers? You know, big church means success. Look, I go to I go to conferences all the time, right? Not all the time, but a couple times a year at least. And you always you always get the sense that I will never hear I will never hear a speaker from a small church give the conference message. That will never happen. Because that's not successful enough really really I filled out a survey before I came to this church 
And I love the free church, by the way. I love the EFCA. But one of the questions was, at your last church, the congregation went from what size to what size? Okay. That doesn't measure fruit of the Spirit. I mean, it could. I could be a cranky, terrible person. It could measure that, right? People might leave if I'm a bad person and don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. I get that. But it kind of makes you wonder. Some people are on the opposite spectrum, though. Have you ever talked to the person at the small church and they're proud that they're small and we, we hopefully never get big because then we're probably compromising? So we've got to stay small, protect ourselves from the world, don't share the faith, make it really hard for people to come in here, make the standards high. Is that what God has called us to? To stay small because that's what we need to be? Yikes. You see, idolatry happens in all shades, all sizes. Um, some of us, some churches are, are really, really impressed with, uh, are really taken by separating. We've got to separate from people. They're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, and they're wrong, and we're the ones that are right. You better come over here where you, they get the doctrine right. The free church is very much against that sort of feeling. We have a statement of faith. Those are the things we're not compromising. But there's some differences in opinion and interpretation, Right? Let's be humble about the things that we're not sure about instead of saying I'm separating from you and you and you and you and you. I I get and I regret sometimes the denominations. By the way, the free church is not a denomination. We're an association, just so you know. Um, uh, It's an association of like-minded churches. But, got myself off track there. I, I know that sometimes having different churches in the same community preserve the peace because we're different, right? And, and, and that way I think it's a good thing. But some churches love their separation. They love it. I regret it. I think it's a reality we live with, but I regret it. I hope you regret it because when Jesus prays that we're one, it's like the fullness of that prayer is not seen. It could be seen, and glimpses of it could happen. And I know that it's a good thing that we're different, and I hope we're being biblical, because that's what we're here for. But there it is. Anything else on my list that I can make us uncomfortable with? Let's see. Um, let's see. <laughs> I don't know. All right. That's, that's probably good enough. Uh, you get the point. It is easy, even in a religious sense, to bow down at the feet of an angel. It's easy for churches to bow down at the feet of something. Why do people get so worked up about Revelation? Why do people have so many kooky understandings of it? Why do people show up at my office with the book, with a little pamphlet this thick that says, this is when Jesus is coming back? Why does this mess us up so much? Maybe because we don't heed the words of the last chapter of Revelation. This is all about Jesus coming back. It's all about the Father's plan for history. Revelation's not about the Antichrist. It's about the Christ. And we can amen that. And we can say, come, Lord Jesus. So, worship team, would you come up here and lead us out this morning? Um, I kind of changed my mind. Can we do How Great Thou Art? Would that be all right? Let's sing it out that way.